All right. I am not going to be afraid to say the name Jesus. Welcome and good morning. If you're visiting, my name is Peter. I serve as the lead pastor of the Springs. We are in the middle of our God's Not Dead series. And the video clip you just saw was from God's Not Dead 2. Our goal for this series, this five-week series that we're in week four of, is to answer the great question of all history, of all humanity. The great question is this. Who is Jesus? This video clip was of God's Not Dead 2, where the, the protagonist, Grace, is in a board meeting, and she is tested to stand for her faith. She's tested. Everyone turn to your neighbor and say, There's a test. There's a test. You see, grace stands strong in her test. What about our test? Over the last few weeks, we have established, and I I hope that you've settled in your heart, if you've been here the last several weeks and been engaging with us in the sermons, we've established that believing in the Lord Jesus is utterly reasonable, whether it's intellectually, historically, emotionally, believing in the Lord Jesus is is reasonable. But today the question is, will you stand strong in hard times for that which you hold as truth, for that which you believe? Will you be confident in a generation that confuses confidence with arrogance? Will you be confident and stand strong in a generation that that confuses tolerance with indecision? Will you decide to stand for Jesus? Will you stand to your feet? Like literally stand to your feet with me? Because we have a better example than grace from the movie. We have the example of Jesus to carry us into a challenge. Who's, who's ready for a challenge? A challenge to grow. The mission of our church is to grow in being followers of Christ, family focus, fishers for men. Growing is a process. We are going to endeavor to engage God's word, which has a growing and strengthening process. The best example is Jesus Christ himself. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 9, it's going to launch us into our challenge here. Starting with verse 7 of Hebrews 5. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal life to all who obey him. That's God's word. Thank you. Y'all can be seated. And let's pray. Jesus, you are the great example for all of us to live, for us to struggle, and not just struggle, but to struggle well. You are the prototype for all humans, but you're not just that, Jesus. You're the source of life. So you're not only our example to live by, but, but Jesus, you're also the power to live the example that you've given. And I pray that today, a real exchange of power, a real plugging in would take place for those who don't yet know you, and a real strengthening would occur for those who do, by your word. In Jesus' name we pray, in your name, amen. Let me take you to northern Arizona. In northern Arizona, there are 3.14 acres, literally pie acres. 
I really hope that wasn't on purpose, but wouldn't blame him if it was. This area of land is enveloped by an experimental glass structure. The biodome, or Earth System Science Research Facility, is the world's largest closed ecological system. And the mission of the biodome is this. It's learning about Earth and living systems and demonstrating the viability of closed ecological systems to support and maintain human life in the future. Demonstrating the viability, or failing to demonstrate it. See, the premise, the ideal behind this enormous structure was that closed ecological systems, that systems that are protected from all the environmental causes and stressors that would stand against the living organisms. A perfect environment, technically like this, would be the best place for the flourishing of life itself. Now, the only problem with this experiment was they soon found out that God's design for the flourishing of life doesn't just exclude stressors. God's design requires stressors. The problem, problem with this experiment can be found right, right about three or four years into the experiment. And they found that the, the trees that grew in this environment would get to a certain height before they would topple over and die. This phenomenon was due to what they found, quote, a lack of stress wood, normally created in response to winds and natural causes. Stress wood, also referred to as reaction wood, tension wood, or compression wood, quote, forms when part of a woody plant is subjected to mechanical stress and helps to bring parts of the plant into optimal position. The stress may be a result of gravity, wind exposure, snow buildup, or soil movement. This ecological, scientific foolishness and blunder of our history is such a good metaphor in so many ways for our generation. You see, maybe, you know, undoubtedly because of the American affluence that we've all grown accustomed to, whether you know it or not, in fact, if you don't know it, it's probably because you're more subjected to it than anything. Maybe it's, it's the environment the last several generations have grown up in where we try to create the perfect environment devoid of all the stressors. This environment where everyone is special, right? I am special. Yes, I am. I might not do anything special and I might be a selfish brat, but you better create a perfect environment for me that doesn't require difficulty. This environment has caused a generation of people that are just toppling over in so many ways. You see, this is a picture of the opposite of God's design. God intends for the flourishing of our lives the elements that would strengthen us, the elements that would cause us to fight. And as it relates to our big question of this whole series, Who is Jesus? What are the implications of answering this question just a little bit wrongly? Well, it depends on how great Jesus is. And if we know who he is, we can stand on this conviction, and we can know that life comes from answering this question rightly and standing on this in a culture that is dying, in a culture where there are pressures and stressors, 
The importance of answering this question and standing in our culture is huge. And God doesn't just want you to believe the right answers to the facts about Jesus and who he is. Listen, God wants you to grow and be strengthened to the degree that you would bear fruit in believing. It's not just about believing. It's about bearing fruit in believing. And for that to occur, stress would must be developed. And God has ordained it through all the seemingly random circumstances in your life. You see, much like the human body, your physical part of you cannot be healthy without a tested, progressively tested immune system. So too with your convictions. Unless your resolve to stand on God's word is tested, it's fortified by a fight, it's, it's strengthened by stressors, Unless that happens, his truth isn't safe with you because you'll topple over. And what I want to do in the next several hours that we have together, I like to mess with visitors. What I want to do with our time remaining is to develop this idea, to dig deeply into the passage that we just read from Hebrews 5. Take it one verse at a time. Dig into the roots of this truth. So that we could see that God wants to strengthen us and to develop us to be safe vessels of his truth. And to bear fruit in our believing that Jesus is the Lord and the Savior of the world. To bear fruit in it. I want to dig into this idea and go verse for verse. 7, 8, and 9 of Hebrews 5. And with each verse, I have a simple thought that I want to leave you with. So ready or not, here we go. But are we ready? So that was for you. That question is for you. Verse 7. In the days of his flesh, meaning the days that Jesus walked the earth, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save from death. And Jesus was heard because of his reverence. Jesus, the Savior of the world, at one moment needed saving from God the Father. This is very strange, to say the least. He was desperate and dependent. This teaches us something about the seed of God in us. My first thought is this. You're either desperate for God or you're devoid of him. And more specifically this. All of us are desperate for God, but maybe some of us are in this room and it was, maybe it was hard to come to church today because you've been made aware that you're desperate for God. Everyone's desperate for God, but some of us are blessed with the life difficulties in various moments to know just how desperate we are for God and how specifically in need we are of God and dependent on him that we are for everything. And maybe that thing that you... Th- that maybe the devil that was, he was trying to get you to believe that God is against you, maybe that thing that you're struggling through that re- requires you to face the reality that you are desperate for God, that thing that was so hard to walk in here with, maybe that's God showing you, I am with you, my child. You're desperate for me. And I'm letting you feel it. I'm letting you be aware of your desperation. Even Jesus even as a grown man, was desperate for God. 
Now, Jesus being desperate for God is a very strange thing to me. This is literally the perfection of God that came to save the world. It's, enough, it's already too much for my, my mind to think that the depths of human rebellion would, would allow for anyone to save the world in the first place. I mean, the story of humanity. God makes us in his image. We rebel against his image. We say, I'll do what I want to do. We sing songs about it. I'm going to follow my heart. All sorts of different songs. The problem with following your heart is when a few billion people all do that and the hearts come in conflict with one another, that's where you see conflict and murder and rape and all the issues of humanity. There's history in a nutshell right there. That's why the world is so messed up. That's why there's wars. And the fact that God would come and remedy that at all blows my mind. God has come to specifically deal with all of the evil in the world that we are responsible for through the saving work of Jesus Christ. The perfect one has come here. That already blows my mind. But listen, how he did it further blows my mind. That he would come as a desperate one needing God the Father. He would come as a baby. Now this doesn't just amaze me during Christmas time, although Christmas time is a good time to reflect on it with some cinnamon tea and some cookies. But listen, he came as a little helpless, desperate baby to save the world. The very seed of God, the seed of hope and world redemption, the promise of healing of the nations in this little desperate, dependent baby. Now imagine if God were to visit you and give you a gift and he were to tell you, okay, I'm giving you this plant in this little planter, this tiny little tree, this seedling of a tree. This is going to have fruit in it. It's going to bear fruit. The fruit of which can cure every disease so that anyone who has just a drop of the fruit that will come from this tree can live forever and never die. It's going to cure all the problems of the world. and, And it'll... It'll make an endless amount of fruit. All I'm asking you to do is to care for this plant and make sure this plant grows and bears fruit. What would you do with that? I mean, you would probably try your best to create your own little biodome on your, on your own and protect it with seven armies, right? But that's not what God did. Jesus himself is the seedling of global redemption. Anyone who drinks of him He says, he promises, will never thirst again. He is life himself. And he came to the earth a desperate little baby. He was desperate for God. He was dependent on the Father. And yet, how did God bring him into the earth? God brought him in to be born of the most dangerous, most insane stressors that a person could be born into. And somehow, that was an okay place for him. Somehow it was a safe place in his state of desperation to grow. The seed of God in him. Let me ask you this. Many of us in this room, or most of us, I would say, I'm not responsible for counting. I'm just responsible for delivering God's word. Most of us in this room have had the seed of God planted in us. We know God. Most of us in this room aren't like I used to be, where I'd go to church for a while, I'd learn a few Bible verses, but I, 
I was literally still in my sin, still in my perversion, still walking uh, with the devil, just being a normal old guy. Most of us are like I was when I was 15 years old, when I came to know Jesus and the seed of God was planting on the inside of me. But listen, when that happened to me, something happened where I wish someone would have explained to me what was happening. That this was literally, hey, here's what happened to you. The seed of God came on the inside of you and it was totally something that you're not responsible for. You didn't start thinking better. You didn't all of a sudden become smarter. You didn't just all of a sudden make sense out of the world and all of a sudden give power through your strength to overcome your sin. No, there was an alien seed of God planted on a desperate dead man and all of a sudden you're alive. I wish someone would have explained that to me because I wouldn't have gone to people on my football team and said, okay, so you are stupid and you need to give your life to Jesus. I'm going to tell you right now, it wasn't a winning evangelistic strategy. I wish I would have known at the time. I was a desperate child with the seed of God growing inside of me. If you know God, that's who you are. It's the seed of truth in you. It's not your doing. You know, people say, is the kingdom of God and growing the kingdom of God, is it nature or is it nurture? Well, I think it's mostly nature. But even the nurturing is God. Listen, look at it. Think about a young tree. It's, it necessitates rain and sun and all sorts of things that it doesn't produce for itself. If you know God, you are a desperate little baby, and that's great. You're either desperate for him, meaning you know your desperation for him, or you're devoid of him. You don't, you don't have him. When you think that you can do just fine with your life and, and you know, throw in a little God there, here and there, you don't know him. You're walking in darkness like I used to. But if you're desperate for him, you're in the perfect place. If you're dependent on him, nothing has taught me more than being a father about being a child of God. I've learned more about God from my kids, my four beautiful, dependent, desperate little babies than I have from any other thing that I've learned or any other information or data that I've acquired. My little kids are snotty, dependent, desperate, little boogers that don't really accomplish a whole lot. They don't perform for me so that I could love them. But listen, I wish I, I could explain to you the depth of love that God has given me for them. I would die a thousand deaths for any of them. I am on this planet to honor Jesus and to provide a place for them to grow in that and maybe help a few other people that I'm in fellowship with to do the same before you die. But those kids are dependent, desperate little kids. If, if we don't do something for them, they're going to die. And yet their worth is infinite. The calling and purpose on their life is unexplainable and great. And what God is saying to you today is, my child, though you're desperate, though you're in need, though you don't have your life figured out, you being in my hands is exactly where I want you. That is what the Lord says. 
are you desperate for God? Well, maybe that's because the seed of God's word is planted in you and you're aware of it. Jesus was desperate for God. And in his state of desperation, he grew. This blows my mind. This brings us to our next verse. Verse 8. He had, verse 7, he had called out. God heard him because of his reverence. In verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. This is important. It, Jesus didn't have to learn obedience because he had to unlearn disobedience. That's all of us. Jesus was strengthened for something different than stepping out of his past. Jesus didn't have a past like you and I had. He didn't have to learn obedience because of disobedience. He had to learn obedience here because it was a process of strengthening that God wanted him to go through so that he would be prepared for a moment of strength. His suffering, what he suffered in his life, produced a type of man that cannot be compared to any other sort of man. My second thought is this. You can't be strong without first being strengthened. Many of us like to be strong, but man, the strengthening process is something we do all sorts of crazy things to avoid. You can't be strong without being strengthened. Like a growing tree, Jesus had stressors in his life that produced a solidarity with God's word that without those stressors, he couldn't grow with that sort of strength. He was tested before his public ministry. He was brought out to be tempted by the devil. You know what's crazy? It says that the spirit of God led him out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil before his public ministry. God ordained that moment of temptation and struggle, and stress. And let me say, let's get real personal right now. The things that you're going through, God's not allowing it. He's ordaining it. It's not like God said, man, your coworker treats you like that. Man, I didn't see that coming. He wanted to use that. He wanted to use that for your good. Maybe he's treated or she's treated all sorts of people like that, but God wants to strengthen you and also provide an ability supernaturally for you not to react like others that confounds that person and all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're baptizing them. God wants to test you. And what Jesus learned through his suffering prepared him for the cross. Jesus was tested and strengthened If something can't be tested, it's useless. Anyone here ever bought a car? Imagine if that car just made you feel strong, right? Like sitting in that sucker, man. I'm seeing these uh, uh, these new Camaros, man. I just just envision myself in one of those things. It just looks strong. But listen, if I went to go buy a Camaro, I would test drive it because if it makes me look strong. It doesn't help anything if it doesn't work. It has to be tested. You want to buy a car? You need to test drive it. Do you want to be used by God to change the world? I hope so. 
then you will be tested. If you want to be used by God, you want to be tested. Listen to 20th century American poet Douglas Malick. He wrote his classic poem, Good Timber. He says, The tree that never had to fight for sun and sky and air and light, but stood out in the open plain and always got its share of rain, never became a forest king, but lived and died a scrubby thing. The man who never had to toil to gain and farm his patch of soil, who never had to win his share of sun and sky and light and air, never became a manly man, but lived and died as he began. Good timber does not grow with ease. The stronger the wind, the stronger the trees. The further the sky, the greater the length. The more the storm, the more the strength. By sun and cold and rain and snow, in trees and men, good timbers grow. Where thickest lies the forest growth, we find the patriarchs of both. As they hold counsel with the stars, whose broken branches show the scars of many winds and much of strife. This is the common law of life. This is by Douglas Malick. You can't be strong without being strengthened. It's staggering to realize that demographers can demonstrate clearly that in our generation, maybe not as much in our particular nation, but globally there is more persecution of Christians happening than in any other point in human history. I mean, many of us have seen that ominous picture of the ISIS member in his orange fatigue standing on the beachside over a kneeling Christian begging for his life before he gruesomely ends his life. We'll all face tests. Maybe most of us in this room, I would assume, aren't going to face tests of that type or magnitude. But what we all have in common is that God has ordained all of us to be strengthened and tested. First Peter, it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal that has come your way and on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you were insulted because of the name of Jesus, you are blessed for the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. You know, when you're pressed to a place where your own strength fails you and all you've got is God, what I call that is revival happening in and from you. Jesus says, learned obedience through what he suffered. And finally, because of how God strengthened him in the suffering, he stood. The pinnacle of human history, when he faced the cross, he stood. He did not waver. For the joy set before you, looking at your face, he endured the cross. He stood because he was strong. In verse, verse 9, describing more this moment, being made perfect, then he thus became a source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. 
Now, this is important to understand contextually what this means when it says being made perfect. Jesus was born of a virgin. He was the only person in human history to ever be born of the seed of heaven itself. He already was perfect. So why does it say here that he was made perfect here? When we understand what this means in the context where it comes from, it helps us to see, first of all, that the verse prior when it says his suffering produced a type of obedience, it's not talking about his suffering on the cross. That suffering was the life that he lived, the the circumstances of strengthening and stressors that made him the man that he was, brought him to be in a place of this moment where he was made perfect. And that's important to know that when it says made perfect here, the Greek word is probably better rendered, he was not made perfect, but that he was suited for a purpose. He was suited for a purpose. He was already perfect, but because of the process, the testing, the strengthening, the stress wood in his life that God ordained, as he ordains yours, he was suited for a great purpose. Now listen, beloved, you are suited for a great purpose. And here in verse 9, his purpose was to become the source of eternal life. Now, that's not your purpose. Our purpose parallels that purpose. But look, becoming the source of eternal life is not your purpose. That well has already been dug. That's Jesus. Through his death and resurrection, he has become the source of eternal life. That is not our well to dig. It's been dug. We've tapped into it if we have the seeds of God in us. We are being suited for a different purpose. And it's to be springs of that well. Or to borrow, stick with our tree analogy, let's just put it this way. My final thought is this. Your purpose isn't just to be strong or stay strong. It's to bear fruit. Everyone say, bear fruit. You see, just like a per, uh, the purpose of a tree isn't just to kind of exist or to be strong against the wind and, and you know, to, to produce a, a white picket fence and, you know, all that confusion of just existing. And your purpose isn't just the American dream and just making a few dollars and eating a few good meals and then dying. You have a greater purpose. It's to bear fruit. A tree's purpose is to extend its branches to provide shade. And to bear fruit. And so is yours. You are to tap into the well that Jesus has dug. The source of eternal life. And to bear fruit. So that when people would eat and drink of the life that's in you. That doesn't come from you. That is sourced in Jesus. When people drink of you. Through relationship with you. They wouldn't just simply be a little happier. They would go from being dead to being alive. You are to be a giver of the life you've been given. You're not on earth simply to, simply to, to exist, to be a little bit of a blessing. And when you have time, make room for God. Your life is not your own. He has brought you to a place where you can live a life that makes disciples, that advances his kingdom, that multiplies who he is to bear fruit. Now listen, you can't give what you first don't receive. Right? So many of us, I, God forbid you walk away from this sermon, you're like, man, that's, 
it's good, man. I need to be strong and, and uh, be encouraged. And, you know, a lot of people are desperate for God. And, and you know, I'm going to be strengthened. That's good. Yeah, be strong. You know, pull myself up, put my bootstraps and all that. And, you know, bear fruit. I'm going to go bless somebody today. In fact, I'm going to write a check to this church. Now, if you write a check, that's great. But, but if that's all you do, you're missing it. Your purpose is to give that which is not yours. And you have to receive it first. The seed of God literally has to grow inside of you so that you can bear fruit in giving away that which is not yours. You can't give what you first don't receive. But listen, if you've received it, you can't not give it away. You need to organize your life around giving it away. You need to see your life in the very few days you have left, whether it's a few hundred or a few thousand. Either way, they're numbered. Your life is about bearing fruit in what God strengthened to go through you. To give away the seed of life that he's planted in you. That's why we are to remain strong with the convictions that we have about who Jesus is because it brings life to the dead. I was that man who was dead in my sin and didn't even know it until someone saw their life, their high school experience, all about coming and bearing fruit that they'd received into my life. What if we lived like that? What if we had a bunch of strange people who we spent our time and our money in a way that causes the rest of the world to think we're crazy? Because we are. Because we were dead. And now we're alive. Your life is about bearing fruit. But finally, let me just encourage you you can't accomplish your purpose. And yes, I'd meant a contraction there. You cannot accomplish your purpose on your own. This brings us back to our desperation thought. Every step of this process of strengthening depends on Jesus. It was Jesus himself who went through the process of strengthening. He was, he was desperate for God. He was strengthened by the God-ordained stressors put in his life. And in the perfect moment, he was fit for a purpose and he bore fruit. But that moment was a moment of giving himself away completely yet again, desperately to God. He said, Father, into your hands from the cross, I commit my spirit into your hands. I give it all away. He fulfilled that which he promised himself when he said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will bear no fruit. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. That's the story of Jesus and that's the story of your life. You can't accomplish your purpose. What Jesus is asking you to do is to die to yourself daily. Take up your cross and follow him, not with your strength, but with his. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, help us to know our desperation for you, to be strengthened by you to the degree that we are producing fruit, not trying our best to, to do it. And, but Lord, I pray that you would bring us all to a greater moment where we know our desperation in a, in a greater way, where we're not just being moved by me or church uh, or by our own understanding, but we are being uh, redirected by your kingdom to be strengthened unto a mission of bearing fruit and that our lives would be unwasted. 
Lord, we are desperate for you to show us how that works, but we're grateful that you've gotten us this far, and we pray that you would lead us from here. If there are people here who don't truly know you yet, who don't have the seeds of life in you, maybe they're like me, that they've went to church and they tried all sorts of of things to make themselves better and improve themselves, but they've never had your seed literally supplant the seed of the enemy in them. I pray that even in this moment, mysteriously, that you would allow them to die and to live again with you. Lord, even as they're praying, Lord, make me new. You can just pray in your heart, Jesus, make me new. Plant your seed on the inside of me. Just pray that. Lord, I pray that you would do what only you can do. Help us all to stand. And not seeing those who stand against us as our enemies, but seeing them as soil for your word. Lord, many of us, see our purposes through what you've given us. And our purpose is not just our work and what we do with our occupation. Our purpose is the relationships you've put around us through what we do at work, through our families, to bear the fruit of your word. And I'm asking that you would send a mighty army out into the world this week to bear fruit that no human resolve could ever accomplish. Holy Spirit, we invite you to continue the revival in and through us by your word. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me, please? If you need prayer for anything as we dismiss here, uh, we're going to be around. We'll be up front if you need us. We'll be back at the connection table. Now, if you have a connection card, um, if you're visiting especially, we want to be able to better be in good relationship with you. And that requires writing ways that we can connect with you and communication and stuff like that. So that card, you can turn back to the connections table and that's where you can find other information about growth groups and how to continue to grow with us. Um, Other than that, if you have any questions, if you need any other prayer, we'll be available again. But at this point, we're dismissed. Thank you.